G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. The new United States President Donald Trump is dominating the headlines as he's signed a series of executive orders on a host of issues that for many are very controversial. Of course, here in Australia, uh, the immigration issue, well, our Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull has defended his decision not to publicly condemn Donald Trump's immigration ban on Muslims after confirming Australian dual nationals will be exempted. But banning Muslims is just one issue that is making ripples. There are pro-life issues, religious freedom issues, course, uh, the free trade agreement issues that's been scrapped. Uh, there are new attitudes to Israel, changes to the focus on the United States military. There are foreign relationships to deal with, with Russia and China and a host of others. Well, this coming hour, we'll look to unpack some of the major changes from a biblical Christian perspective with an expert on global trends. Dr. Camille Majdali is joining us. You'll know Dr. Camille Majdali from our regular daily program called Faith and the Future. And Camille is in the United States today and he's joining us to talk through some of the changes, Christian faith and politics and what they might mean for the United States, for Australia and for the world. Hello, Camille. Welcome back to 2020. Hi, Neil. God bless. God bless you too, Camille. Thank you very much. Yes, great to talk to you. You are in Portland, Oregon today, and uh, I imagine uh, that's your uh, home base uh, for this time when you're in the U.S. Uh, You've been traveling widely, as you always do, and monitoring very carefully the unfolding nature of what's happening with the new Trump presidency. Uh, Looking for some Christian insights into the Trump presidency today because change at this time uh, when there are so many global issues to deal with. In fact, I think in the words of Donald Trump when he says the world is a mess, it means uh, things are often going to be quite difficult. Uh, Your impressions on the first uh, week and a half, two weeks of the Trump presidency? Sure. All right. Uh, just for the record, I'm in the Spokane, Coeur d'Alene area. I have been in Portland. Okay. <laughs> I have spent a lot of time in Portland, have family connection there, but I am uh, in this particular area, which is a one-hour flight from Portland. But uh, I have to say I've never seen such frenetic activity coming out of the White House ever like we have seen in the last 10 days. I don't know if Donald Trump even sleeps. He has just absolutely been how can you call it, the proverbial whirlwind, hurricane, or what have you, he, he, very, very energetic administration and determined to fulfill all his campaign promises, it appears, yesterday. Rather than, so just the amount of activity has been enormous. The lack of a honeymoon period, also notable. Usually there is that. But then Donald Trump's not coming in as... The whole point was he's not a traditional politician. He is not part of the establishment. He said he's going to uh, have an America first policy, and, and this is what he's trying to do. And uh, you give him A for effort in terms of he just does not sit still. 
Uh, Camille, oftentimes well, there's an old saying that people often reflect on, uh, that the uh, the wheels of change move slowly. But uh, there is, as you say, all of this frenetic activity that's coming out of the White House. Uh, is change at this pace, uh, do you think, a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, I think time will tell, Neil. <laughs> I think that... Uh... I think that just the fact that he isn't determined to fulfill his campaign promises, and I think from his point of view and from what we're hearing, he's, he has a pretty broad, how should you say, platform in terms of what he wants to accomplish in the country, and as far as he's concerned, he only has eight years to do it. Now, that sounds like a lot of time, but if you read the agenda, it is, it's massive. So being that he always is a high-energy individual to begin with, he's now putting that ability that he has as an entrepreneur businessman now at work in the Oval Office. So, no, I, time will tell whether it's a good thing. Look, we have to budget. There will be mistakes. There will be miscalculations. There will be all that. I mean, we're dealing with a human being. But he made certain campaign promises lots of them actually, and he seems to be determined to fulfill them as soon as he can. Let me ask you, Camille, as we get our conversation underway, uh, about what is something of an elephant in the room when it comes to Christians talking about Donald Trump uh, and Christian leaders, because not all Christian leaders were on side with Donald Trump in the campaign for the presidency. And I need to ask you about how the impression is that you might have about where Christian leaders stand on Trump today, uh, post-inauguration. Are they uh, still uh, concerned about character issues, those sorts of things, or is policy issue something that there is a gaining focus on? Okay, that's a good question. I can't tell you in the last 10 days, what Christian leaders are saying. I mean, people are still processing. It's, think of it like a, uh, a whirlwind coming through Washington. How do you process a whirlwind? I mean, it just, it's been boom, boom, boom for the last 10 days. And not just Trump. There was the Women's March, which was actually an amalgam of all kinds of causes. It wasn't just women's causes. It was all kinds. And then following that was the March for Life. All this hitting Washington within this 10-day period. Christian leaders appear to have been behind Trump by the time the election came, and 81% of evangelical Christians voted for Trump. Character is important, but I guess, first of all, there has to be a little bit of pragmatism involved, and as long as... uh, there hasn't been any fresh news on Trump acting up in terms of his personal life. In fact, it doesn't seem likely he has a pretty solid marriage and a very, very close family life, amazingly, legendarily close. So there's no new news. The video that was shown of him trying to discredit him, very lewd comments, that was from 2005. That's not, I don't think that's a factor at this point. He has shown himself to be pro-life and signed a prohibition of funding abortions overseas, something that President Reagan did, something that Bush II did, and now Trump has continued that. Both Clinton and Obama reversed those decisions, but now Trump has reinstated them. 
any moment now he's going to announce his Supreme Court nominee. Interesting, the Democrats said, we don't care who this person is, we're going to filibuster. So that'll be an interesting showdown. But I would say that conservative Bible-believing Christians are hardened by Trump's actions. And also he said something that we've been waiting to hear for a long time, and that is that priority will be given to Christian refugees, particularly out of Syria, who have suffered a lot and have been neglected for a long time. As you know, Camille, here in Australia, the mainstream media reporting doesn't always uh, bring to the fore some of those sorts of positions that you're talking about that would have won over the evangelical Christians. I think you mentioned a a statistic there. Over 80% of evangelical Christians voted for the Republican nominee, Donald Trump. Uh, in Australia, of course, as you know, and as a long-time resident of Australia, that uh, you don't always get a whole story. In the American media, do you glean that a lot of those sorts of uh, policy issues that won over the evangelicals were actually being reported in the mainstream media? No, of course not. Uh, mainstream media in America would be pretty similar to that in Australia, and therefore uh, Christians in America did look to cable TV, Fox News as one, although Fox News is not pristine pure either, but they have a motto, fair and balanced, fair and balanced. And probably when you grade them on a curve, they are, but you don't even look to them. You look to alternative media for information. Plus, of course, there's the pronouncements that come out of Christian organizations, you know, high-profile ones and the like. So I would say that, no, they, the evangelicals, what probably caught their attention, Trump very shrewdly, if I can use that term, did reach out to evangelicals. The prospect for, from an evangelical American point of view of a second Clinton presidency was they just didn't even want to contemplate it. So they listened to Trump, but more than that, they rallied around him. You could see him in some, I don't know, YouTube videos receiving prayer from high-profile Christian leaders in America looking at his face and all. He's not the bombastic Trump that you see. <laughs> He's very humbled, almost like the lamb being led into the uh, to green pastures and still waters. And so it's been actually, um, how should we say it? I would say a lot of the Christian leaders initially were dubious of Trump or maybe even what is called the Never Trump camp, but he has been... He has won them over, and some of their leaders have also helped to win them over to Trump's side. Camille, let's talk about one of the biggest issues in the headlines today and has been over the previous days. Of course, uh, the uh, Trump policies on immigration, bans on Muslims, uh, refugees, uh, attitudes to Christians. Uh, as, you, uh, as you contemplate the, the issue of the immigration and, uh, and, and the major upset that that's causing around the world, uh, how do you feel as though uh, Christians ought to be uh, looking at the, the whole issue of, uh, of these immigration and bans that are happening in the U.S.? Okay, well, there is a perspective that apparently the media is not getting through, but on the particular day when the bans happened, and they happened in a sense like a surprise, deliberately, so that, as the administration says, the bad guys couldn't hurry up and get in. There were apparently 325,000 people entering the United States on that day, 
325,000. Of the 325,000, 109 were held up as part of this term called extreme vetting. So uh, they do need some perspective here. Let me see if I can recap. First of all, while, of course, we should be open immigration, I myself am a migrant, I know many people are, and so on, but uh, it's got to be legal. It's got to be proper. We are people who are under authority and under the law, and I don't mean in the under the law of Moses, which is not what New Testament believers are, but we are under the law of our host country. So it's got to be done right. The second thing is that we need to be committed to truth, in other words, getting our facts, because let's face it, if we're only getting our information from one source, and if it's highly biased source, then that's really not helping the situation. We will be affected by it. So knowing that we have these uh, restraints, we need to uh, remember there's two sides to every story and do our homework before we uh, make a judgment that could be uh, erroneous. Immigration is important. There's many positives that come from it, but, uh, you know, many Im- most many immigrants do it the right way and make their proper contribution. But also, I, what people don't seem to understand, there is a war going on. It's, it's across the, uh, the north of Africa. It's across much of Asia. It's oftentimes involving jihadists, oftentimes attacking their own people, their own co-religionists. And so that's part of the thinking that's happening here. There is a war going on. And if we understand it that way, we might have a different perspective than pretending that there isn't a problem and that, therefore, there's no need for a solution. But we, we owe it to the side of truth to do our homework and to get it right and to show appropriate respect for authority, even though it doesn't mean we have to always agree with them either. Camille, has there been a growing fearfulness of uh, the sorts of challenges that come with terrorism? Uh, Was that, do you think, a factor in the lead-up to uh, the election of Donald Trump as as president? And, uh, and of course, uh, those those policy promises in the election campaign and then uh, major announcements like the immigration policy and a ban on Muslims for a period. Do you think this is something that has uh, ridden on the back of fears of typical American citizens? Well, the concern about terrorism is real, and in my opinion, it's valid. Uh, I think we can say the same in Australia as well. It's a valid concern, and it does need to be addressed. And that's part of the duty of civil governments, is protecting their people. That is one of their fundamental duties. And hence, this is something that we should be aware of, and, and so on. I don't think we should be living in torment and fear, but at the same time, being in a last-day state of denial is not the way to do it. So, yes, there is a valid concern. And, of course, there have been horror headlines coming out of Europe over the last while, the last two years, you know, starting with the Charlie Hebdo cartoon attack and the kosher supermarket. That's now two years ago. And all the parade of stuff happening since then, including the Nice attack, what, 84 people killed by a rogue driver, 80 people and that's not counting the Christmas market in Berlin and I mean I don't even have the list in front of me but those are some of the high profile things and Americans watch this just like Australians watch this 
and they're saying, okay, so what are we going to do about it to secure our community, our families, and so on? So, yes, it is a legitimate concern. And I guess for Australians, as well as residents in the UK, uh, and uh, and those who have been exempt uh, from some of these uh, bans, uh, there's less to worry about. But of course, uh, many nations around the world, there will be some who will be disadvantaged, there'll be some who will be inconvenienced. Yep, so the inconvenience, the disadvantage that will happen in some nations, I imagine that, uh, that from a Christian perspective, uh, the idea of welcoming strangers, uh, that has to be held in tension with this idea of protecting and securing borders. Yes, we do need a mature and balanced perspective. Of course we welcome strangers. But, I mean, who would welcome a stranger with a menacing appearance who might be wanting to rob your house or do, do worse? I mean, there are limits... To our <laughs> welcome, and I heard one commentator here in the U.S. say that there has to be a time of tough love. We can't, we just can't be leaving ourselves vulnerable for the kind of attacks that are happening. Remember, uh, this is the land of 9/11, and that kind of uh, mindset doesn't go away easily. Though 9/11 was over 15 years ago, but it's still there, and and the threat is still there. It hasn't gone away after all these years. Well, we're going to take a break and go to Vision National News and continuing our conversation after the news. I want to invite listeners to participate in our conversation. You might like to add, uh, whether it's on this issue of the Muslim bans and immigration or on any of the other big issues, uh, pro-life issues, religious freedom issues. Uh, Of course, uh, Australia is in the mix there of US allies uh, that Donald Trump has said that uh, he wants to maintain. Uh, We'll talk about free trade agreements. Uh, You might have some uh, issues to raise. Uh, You might have some comment to make. 1-800-316-316. Our talkback line is open. Our special guest is Dr. Camille Majdali. Of course, uh, there is a website you can go to to get more detail about what Camille uh, is uh, talking about in more depth at tan.org.au. Teach all nations, tan.org.au. We're back with more after the news. We are talking with Dr. Camille Majdali from the United States. Of course, the new U.S. President, Donald Trump, dominating headlines. Of course, he signed a series of executive orders on a host of issues, and many of those very controversial issues. Banning Muslims, just one of those that's making ripples. There are pro-life issues, religious freedom issues, of course, the free trade agreements that's been scrapped. There's been new attitudes introduced all about the nation of Israel and changes to the focus on the U.S. military and foreign policy relationships with Russia and China. Lots and lots of issues. Uh, you'll know Dr. Camille Majdali from our regular daily program called Faith and the Future. Camille is in the U.S. today talking to us uh, through some of the changes, some of the challenges and how global trends are being influenced. Uh, Camille, uh, as we talk about global trends, this is an an issue that you love to monitor. Uh, There's obviously going to be an awful lot to talk about with some of these changes under Donald Trump. Oh, well, there's not going to be a dull moment for sure. And as I said earlier, Neil... I don't think we've seen anything like this. The guy didn't even finish dancing with Melania at the inaugural ball, and he's signing executive orders and doing interviews and meeting heads of state, and uh, we don't think he sleeps. 
They probably, because he's done so much, the joke is he's done so much that uh, the Democrats, who are his opposition, are going to pass a bill he must he must have eight hours of sleep every night. <laughs> Limit the amount of activity that's going on from the White House. Now, Camille, when we talk about global trends, and uh, we've talked before at length about the Brexit, uh, and of course uh, in Australia, uh, a trend, I guess you could call it, uh, with the rise of the One Nation Party and people who are ideologically aligned with some of the uh, Trumpisms that we're seeing out of the US. When you reflect on global trends, how significant is it that things are changing at this time? Okay, I'm still processing all that's going on, but there has been, remember, I've I've spoken to you about it, Neil, this trend of, for example, shock elections over the last two years, where the experts, the pundits, the pollsters, the elite, they predicted a certain outcome in elections, and the exact opposite happened. And everybody was in shock, including sometimes the winner of the election. It happened in Britain twice. It happened in Sri Lanka. It happened in Israel with its election. And, of course, it happened in the United States. Let's remember, up to the day before the 8th of November 2016 election, the polls were saying Hillary is everywhere from two points to six points ahead. Uh, And yet that's not what happened. So this trend of the shock elections may be Part of what it means, or to a great extent what it means, is that certain people in key places, uh, Andrew Bolt calls them the cultural elite, although I haven't heard that term uh, for a while, but the cultural elite, they have a narrative that they want to support. And, And oftentimes they are getting what they want in the wish list, but now there seems to be this what is called populist trend. And Donald Trump represents that, and so does the Brexit vote, and so do nationalist parties on the European mainland. Because what the populists are doing is they say, look, you have ignored the average individual for too long, the mainstream, the middle class. You've ignored them, and they were going to be ignored no more, and therefore we're responding. Brexit was exactly like that, as was the election of Trump. So this populist... They call it a populist revolt. Maybe that is exactly what it is. But we we watch and we pray. We are taking calls. 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to participate in our conversation today. Let's take a call from Emmanuel in Perth in WA. Hello, Emmanuel. Thanks for holding on. Hi, how are you going, Neil? Very well, Emmanuel. What are your thoughts? Yeah, the, the immigration one I disagree with simply because Jesus was so welcoming in the Bible to everybody. I mean, I understand we're living in a different time, but surely, like, my wife went and visited a detention centre in here in Perth, and she said it was like a jail. Um, she went with an organisation to, to visit, visit this detention centre, and she said, you know, it's just no hope in there. And I just don't understand how... I just don't understand how um, we can say, oh, yeah, okay, it's all well and good to uh, block these people from coming. And, but, you know, when you look and see there's no hope around in the detention centre, there's no hope for these people they're persecuting. You know, and Jesus in the Bible 
says that you should work from everybody. And I just don't understand. Emmanuel, it's an important point you raise, how we actually align a biblical perception uh, of Jesus and his uh, teaching uh, with what might happen in uh, in governments when it comes to uh, federal uh, and international governments. Let's talk through some of these issues. Camille, your thoughts on, on what Emmanuel is sharing? Well, uh, yeah, it's it's an important perspective, but Let's, we need to actually look at the whole perspective, Neil. For example, good people, and we want good people, right, as migrants. Good people do obey laws. We can't be saying it's okay not to obey laws when it comes to migration. I also have met people, people who are legitimate, bona fide, UN-endorsed refugees. I've met them in other countries. They are waiting to come to places like Australia. And they are doing it properly. Who who, who we should show the compassion to first? This is something we must consider. Also, uh, Jesus was very clear. We give to Caesar what is Caesar. We give to God what is God's. We also, Romans 13, the Apostle Paul tells us we are to be subject to the temporal powers. So, again, the temporal powers... Have a certain degree, and let's let's not forget two things. A, Australia is a very welcoming country. It is one of the top welcoming countries. Just because we have standards to immigration doesn't mean we're not welcoming, and it doesn't mean we aren't compassionate. We have to balance our compassion with our protection of our citizens, as well as the respect for our laws too. We need to see this holistically. So there is a sense in which there could be two speeds here, Camille. Uh, The sort of compassion and welcoming to the stranger that you might show uh, to those people who are in your street or in your community, in your neighbourhood. And there's a different way to look at uh, how you might hope that your leaders are working in a way to protect citizens and how they might actually implement that same level of compassion towards strangers? Well, yes, there are, and we need to pray with, for our leaders and for our government to, to make the wise and right decisions. But it's not a lack of compassion, especially to a country that takes in migrants and refugees on a regular basis to have standards of who they let in, because after all, there is a war going on out there. Thank you so much to Emmanuel from Perth for your input today. 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation and uh, a broad range of issues to talk about. Uh, Donald Trump and uh, some impressions today from a Christian and biblical perspective on some of the changes and some of the things that are happening uh, in the United States and as they might affect the world. Dr. Camille Majdali is on the line with us from the United States. Uh, Camille, uh, we probably haven't got a lot of time to talk through every issue, but uh, on the pro- life uh, stance of Donald Trump and that I suspect has taken a lot of people by surprise Uh, but he's taken a very strong pro-life stance and uh, even withdrawing funding from uh, from the the, uh, from abortions internationally well he has and I do I think he was not pro-life for the longest time but he did change he wouldn't be the only one Ronald Reagan was apparently the same he started off pro-abortion, pro-choice, and then he went to pro-life, just as 
people like Al Gore and Bill Clinton started off pro-life and then they became pro-choice. It is surprising, but I would say, first of all, the signing of the executive order to no longer fund organizations that promote or, or do abortions overseas, that happened very quickly and it heartened the pro-life community. The second thing is that the Vice President of the United States, Michael Pence, who is a very much full-on evangelical Christian, actually spoke at the March for Life that happened a few days after the Women's March, and that is a first as far as this 40-year-plus March for Life to have such a high-ranking politician speak at the, at the march. So these are signs coming from the Trump administration, not counting, of course, <laughs> the appointment of the next Supreme Court justices, which Trump has promised the evangelicals would be conservative, constitutional abiding jurists. So these are, these are positive signs. But the other thing that both the pro-choice and the pro-life in the United States are agreeing is that the rate of abortions is going down. It used to be up to 1.5 million abortions a year. Apparently, it went below 1 million probably for the first time in a long time. So the rates of abortion are going down, but of course not enough for people that are committed to pro-life. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Our special guest, Dr. Camille Magdalene, on the line from the United States and talking through the global trends and some of the many uh, issues that are causing ripples around the globe. Uh, Camille, if we talk about another issue, there are so many big issues to talk about. Uh, One of the major changes, of course, has been the attitudes to the nation of Israel. You've been following that along very closely as well, too. Uh, What are your thoughts on uh, on the idea that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is due to meet with the U.S. President Donald Trump? I think it is on the 15th of this uh, 15th of February. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, obviously, Donald Trump puts the relationship with Israel as a high priority, especially if I didn't even know what the appointed date was, 15th of February. He wouldn't have even been in office a month. And it's been a real roller coaster ride, I would say, in U.S.-Israeli relations over the last years. And Mr. Trump initially in his campaign said he was going to be neutral early on, I'm telling you, neutral with the Arab-Israeli conflict, but uh, he's not being very neutral anymore. So he is taking a stance, which is a stance that is pretty popular with the uh, American Congress on both parties, and that is uh, support of Israel. There is, of course, a lot of, uh, what do you call it, uh, advocacy for what they call the two-state solution, which basically is saying, take the land that Israel's in and create two states, and by the way, while you're at it, divide Jerusalem between the two states, and it can be the capital of the two states. And when that happens, then apparently there will be peace in the Middle East, so is the, is the line for the two-state solution. Mr. Trump uh, probably will be fluid on that, but one thing he has said, he was going to move the embassy to, from Tel Aviv, the U.S. embassy, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And the thing about Trump is 
people actually think he might do it because this has been promised again and again and again over the decades. For those, for the listeners may not be aware, but the embassies of the different countries that recognize Israel are not in Jerusalem, but in Tel Aviv, because the world community by and large does not recognize Israel's sovereignty over the whole of Jerusalem. And the line is, well, when there's peace between Israel and the Arabs, then we can... Uh, make a decision of where to put the embassy. Tel Aviv is not that far from Jerusalem. I would estimate about 65, 70 kilometers, but the point is it's making a statement. Trump wanted to change that, but apparently the U.S. Congress changed it many years ago. I can't even remember the exact year, probably during the days of Bill Clinton, that the embassy will be moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and but the president can ask for a six-month moratorium, you know, until everything is sorted out. And they, every twice a year, probably since the 1990s, they've been, the presidents have been signing this moratorium. Mr. Trump might actually pull it up, but, you know, he's now been asked, are you going to move the embassy? And he says, well, we're, uh, it's too early to say when and how. Hmm. So that's his practical point. We are taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take a call from Graham in Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Welcome along. Hello, Neil. You know, this world at the present moment, we actually in Bible prophecy what's happening in the world, and you know, we need compassion for our fellow man, even those who are enemies. But we've got to be right in our judgments. Where are the Muslims fleeing? How many Muslims are fleeing to other Muslim countries? Why they're tearing each other apart? whether they're Sunnis or Shiites, they're into each other. Where is love in these people? The Christian society, even though we have the Roman Catholics, the Orthodox, varieties, at least they've got the Bible to go to and say, thou shalt not kill. And anyone that doesn't agree with you don't have anything to do with them. They don't do agree with the inspired word of God. Graham, interesting points there, that there is a certain consistency or uh, something that you could say is uh, predictable about Christians because of the foundations that we have, and uh, and uh, nations that have Christian foundations are a little predictable when it comes to this too, but others that don't have Christian foundations are not quite so predictable and uh, not quite so open to some of these compassionate ways. Uh, your thoughts, Camille Magdaly, on Graham's thoughts. Okay, sure. Uh, interesting points from Graham. A few po- things. First of all, that from the Syrian conflict, which is just one of several, but it's the major conflict, there have been many Syrians, Muslim and Christian, that have fled to Turkey, a Muslim-majority country, or to Jordan, a Muslim-majority country, or to Lebanon, which has also become a Muslim-majority country though not necessarily run all by the Muslims. So there, has, there have been some of these countries that have taken in uh, the refugees. In Turkey's case, it's apparently well over 2 million, probably at least half, minimum half, of all Syrian refugees are in, in Turkey. And, of course, it's the overflow from Turkey that has been going on to, to Europe. Okay, that's one thing. So, I mean, for the sake of accuracy and being fair-minded, we need to bear that in, in mind. The second thing is that I think that uh, 
it is interesting when given a choice, oftentimes, but not always, the people who are seeking refuge may prefer to go to the West. Now, whether it's because they like our values or whether they just think the West is more peaceful or prosperous or whether they even heard of the uh, welfare state and they like how it sounds. I mean, there's various reasons, but they do that. However, not all want to go to the West because, after all, it still is an alien culture and they will definitely feel like fish out of water. And this is a part of the world, like much of Asia, that still values family, including extended family. So, of course, if you go to the West, you will be separated from family, which oftentimes is a major source of support. So it is a little more complicated than that. But, yes, because of the Christian heritage of the West, and there's certain things that are so much part and parcel of our culture, which is biblically based, and, yes, that would be an attraction to people all over the world, including from the Middle East. Thank you so much to Graham from Tasmania for your input, and time is running out. Uh, Camille, uh, you have got a lot of different thoughts on paper. You have a blog that people can access when they go through your website at teachallnations, tan.org.au. The sorts of things you've been blogging about of recent times, uh, well, I guess uh, many of these sorts of issues are really there at the forefront. So for Christians who are wanting to get some deeper insight with a biblical Christian foundation, it's a good place to go. Uh, When's your next blog due out, Camille? Oh, in the next few days. I've been blogging on uh, Trump, of course, on the UN Security Council resolution in December 2334 that basically condemned Israel, and then, of course, what will happen to that. But I also blog on biblical Christian living and victorious Christian living, too. So, yes, by all means, come to my website, and also if you want to hear regularly, right there on the front page, you can subscribe to the free monthly Issachar teaching e-letter which is basically dedicated to helping people to become future ready. And I'll point people to tan.org.au and uh, you don't hold back occasionally, Camille, with your favourite recipes as well. I mean, uh, you know, you can talk about a lot of serious things and I know you you do love to engage with the serious topics, but uh, you've got some of your favourite recipes online as well. Yes, I just thought... uh Variety is the spice of life, they say. <laughs> so, yeah, we include recipes as well. All right. It makes you it makes you more human, doesn't it, when people know that you uh, have a particular delight for certain food and uh, you come across some favorite recipes. And I know your wife, Leanne, loves uh, to contribute to that recipe uh, file as well. Uh, tan.org.au uh, to get some more detail, some more background, uh, some access to the blog that Dr. Camille Magdaly writes. You might like to subscribe to it. And uh, those listeners regularly to 2020 will know that we talk each day on our Faith and the Future program that's coming up here on 2020 a little later on too. Camille, great getting your insights as usual and uh, always appreciate uh, your capacity to be able to get your head around all of these big issues and global trends. Uh, I look forward to the next time we get an opportunity to catch up live like this and I know listeners uh, enjoy the opportunity to interact. Thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. God bless everyone. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au And remember, Vision is listener-supported. 
Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.